Joel chapter 2, starting with verse number 12, and it reads as follows. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting, with weeping and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering to the Lord your God? Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a psalm assembly. Gather the people and sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breath. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests... The ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare thy people. O Lord, give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. But I will remove far off from you the northern army, and will drive him into a land of barren and desolate, with his face toward the east sea, and his hinder part toward the utmost sea, and his stink shall come up, and his ill savor shall come up, because he hath done great things. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word, the Bible, that we have time to study it and learn from it, hear your message, hear your word, Lord. We ask that you be with us now, this whole congregation now, as we take this time to know more of your word, learn more of your word, and have that word be part of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Continue with our study of the book of Joel. If you remember... The big deal, the big point of the book of Joel, the theme that we've been hammering home is this. It's that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. That's what this prophet brings out, I think, the most of all of the many other lessons that's in the book. I think that's the big deal. That's the big takeaway. If you want the one-sentence summary, the thing that, well, if you don't remember anything else, this is what you ought to remember, that God is Sovereign. What do we mean? That he's all-powerful. That he's in control. We have to remember that and have that guide our lives. He showed his power. We studied chapter 1 through things like natural disasters, right? There was locust invasion. There was drought. All these things. These, these what even today we call acts of God, right? A reminder to us that we are nothing compared to God's power, right? There's nothing we can do when God sends us the, lo- the swarm of locusts or the drought or whatever it is today, whether it be earthquake, fire, volcanoes blowing up, you name it, right? All these things happen. We humans, despite all our technological know-how and wizardry and all these things, there's nothing we can do about it when God sends these things but to cling to God, but to turn to God and ask God to help us through all these things. We also studied in chapter 1 that this message was undated. There's no reference to Joel in other books. We don't know much about him. But we do know this, that he said right in chapter 1 that this message is not just for the people listening to him. It's for his children and their children's children. Right? It's a message for all time. It's a message that applies to us even today. Last time we started our study of chapter 2, which continues that theme, that idea. Because chapter 2 talks about something a little bit different. Again, it hammers home how powerful God is, how God is in control, how God is, you know, 
the master of everything. But it talks about something a little bit more in the future. Now, I guess maybe back then they didn't realize how far in the future uh, Joel was talking about, right? Maybe they thought all this stuff was going to happen within their own lifetimes. We don't know. But in chapter 2, on the start, when verses 1 to 11, it talks about the day of the Lord, right? In chapter 2, verse 1, the day of the Lord. Now, we know now, because we have the benefit of the whole Bible, because we've seen what all the other prophets have said, what Jesus has said about it, what Paul wrote about it, what John wrote about it. We know the day of the Lord refers to the day when Jesus comes again. And not just that day, but that whole time when Jesus returns, right? It's going to be a whole kind of era, right? And we've started studying it or been studying it. Nathan's doing his revelation class, right? And you know that there's a lot of stuff that goes on there. It's not just literally one day, right? Jesus comes back. There's a tribulation. There's all this other stuff that happens. Stuff that I probably can't even remember off the top of my head right now. But we know that this is the Lord's day. It's coming. It'll be there in the future, right? And it'll end in the, what, the millennial reign, right? After the millennial reign, then it'll be all the way over. What is he talking about, Joel? This is like basically referring to when he talks to the day of the Lord talking about the end, the end of history, right? That's what Revelation is. It talks about the end of everything. In fact, many Bible scholars and stuff, they refer to that time as the end times, right? That's what they call it, the end times. So why does Joel bring up the end times at the start of chapter 2? Well, we studied that last time. Well, it makes sense, fitting with his themes, that God is powerful not just in the day of Joel, not just in the day of the coming natural disasters, but for all time. Even in the end times, that's when God is still powerful. He's still in control. God is sovereign at all times. That's the difference. That's why I think he calls that out. A reminder to us that we have to be on our guard to know that God is watching us. Not just just a little bit of time. Not just here. Not just there. But forever. God's going to be with us forever. And that's the, uh, I think, the importance of the first part of chapter 2, a continuation of the themes of chapter 1. But now we've reached a turning point in chapter 2. How do we know? The first verse in chapter 12 says what? Therefore. When you see the word therefore, a lot of times that signals some kind of change, right? Through a different section, a different idea, right? So all this stuff was brought up. Now therefore, saith the Lord, right? Turn ye even to me with all your heart. And with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your heart and not your garments and turn to the Lord God, for he is gracious and merciful. This is the call for repentance. The call for repentance. Very common, we'll see among all the prophets. There's always a, a, a call back, right? Giving Israel a chance, saying, hey, come back. Come back. Because we know the history already, right? And we studied this back when we did, went through the whole book of uh, Hosea, right? The general history was what? Israel at one point was, pro- was a prosperous country, right? They turned away from God. They decided, because they got lazy, right? They decided to worship idols. They fell into sin. And their country went into despair, right? It went into ruin. There might be times when they tried to turn back to God, but it never kept. And eventually, their whole country was taken over, right? For literally thousands of years, right? That their country was occupied by you know, you name it, different, different, uh, different nations, one after the other. So 
here's the call to repent right now, right? It says, uh, to, it says this, right, in verse 16, to gather the people, assemble the elders, right? Call to the leaders of this, of this people that they first should set the example, which the leaders do, right? They should set 17, let the priests and the ministers of the Lord weep on the church of the altar. Call for God to spare thy people. And that's a key word there, spare, right? Spare means to show mercy, right? Spare means to acknowledge that we did something wrong, right? You only spare people if you know that, oh, they did something wrong, right? And now I got to let them go, right? Spare me. When someone says spare me, you know that they did something wrong. Oh, you got to let them go. So these elders ought to call to spare the people, right? Spare the people. And then what will happen? Verse 18, verse 18. God promises this. God will be jealous for his land. It means he'll care for his land. Pity his people. Pity the children of Israel. Right? In 19, right? God will restore them, right? Behold, he'll send them corn and wine and oil, right? And no more make them reproach. Verse 20, I will remove from far off the northern army and drive them away. All those things, right? A call to turn back and a promise of restoration. We'll look at that today. Look at what does he mean when he says to repent, to turn back. Well, a lot of that information is right written in the first few verses, the ones we kind of glossed over a little bit when we started, but we'll look at it in a little more detail right now in verses 12, 13, and 14. What does it mean to repent, right? It says this, turn to me with all your heart. Not part of your heart, not just a little bit of your heart, not most of your heart. Repentance starts with turning over all your heart to God. Right? All your heart. With how here's examples with, with fasting and weeping and mourning. But also this, rending your heart and not your garments. What does this mean? What does this mean? All this stuff and references all this stuff. He's trying to explain what it means to really turn your heart to him. Right? It's not just he's saying that repentance is not just a word. It's not just an action. It's not just an emotion, it's actually all of those things. When you have real repentance, it's not just an action that you might do one time. It's not just a feeling of regret that you might have one time. It's not just saying, I'm sorry. You know, we hear a lot about, you know, about, you know, repentance nowadays recently, right? It's been a lot in the news in in terms of all these, uh, sexual harassment type scandals, right? And we used to have it before too. It's not like these are new, right? You heard from all the news, like, oh, me too, and all these things. They're not new things that existed before. But what happened a lot of times in the past, right? Well, you guys know what happened. Some celebrity would get caught, right? They got caught. They were sexually harassing someone, whoever it is, whether it be, you know, Tiger Woods or whoever else, other celebrity, movie star, this, that, and the other person. And what do they do? Well, we know what they did. They have a lot of PR people and agents, and what do they tell them to do? They hold a press conference, right? And they say the words, right? They say the words, oh, I'm sorry if I offended people, or I'm sorry if I hurt people, right? And then they even try to do the action, right? They say, oh, now I'm gonna enter counseling, right? I'm take a lot of counseling. 
And that's going to help me once I go to my, you know, my sex rehab or my sex counseling. I will not do sexual harassment, right? Whatever it is. And you know our reaction whenever we see Tiger Woods or whoever else used to go up there and see all the things at the press conference. Everyone would say the same thing. That's so phony baloney, right? You know they would never do this, ever announce this in a million years if they didn't get caught, right? They're doing it because they got caught and they're worried, I'm going to lose my endorsement deals, I'm going to lose my movie contracts. I'm gonna... So they say that and then you know what happens? You go down the line a few years later, then they still are doing whatever it is that they're doing before because that's just the way they are, right? That they weren't really repenting and sorry in that moment when they held the press conference. They were doing it because their PR team told them to do it, their agent told them to do it or whatever. That's the way that you're supposed to do it, right? Now we see today the little bit different results, right? Now people are getting are a little bit wise to it, right? Saying like, hey, you can't get tricked, right? Nowadays people are saying, oh, that oh, if you did all this stuff, you get fired and now you get blacklisted out of Hollywood and all these horrible people like Harvey Weinstein and whoever are feeling the consequences, right? Where you couldn't just say, oh, you know, I'm going to go and uh, say I'm sorry and apologize and then I'll still run my company, right? They didn't let them get away with it that time, right? And that's kind of the change that people have that they realize, oh, that's not real repentance, right? If he goes up there and says, I'm going to go uh, take a break and, from my company and suspend myself for six weeks, it means nothing, right? It's meaningless. When people face problems with God, and sometimes get shocked into turning back and repenting for a moment. Sometimes that's all it is, right? Oh God, something bad happened in my life. Now I know, God, I'm sorry. I'll do better. That's what Israel did, didn't they? Israel went through a lot of ups and downs when we studied the history previously, right? Oh God, now I see something bad happened. We better say sorry now, God, we're sorry. You know, we did it wrong. We'll fix it, right? But what happened with Israel? They didn't fix it. It was just a word. It was just a one-time action. Oh, we're sorry. Now, today, we're going to pray now. We're praying now that the bad thing's happening. Oh, it passed. We forgot. Let's go back to worship our idols. That happens today with people, too. Does it not? It happens today with uh, people... Well, something bad happens. Oh, that's a reminder to me. I better pray today, right? I'm hearing the bad thing. I got to pray right now. Oh, the bad thing has passed. Do I remember to pray anymore? Nope. Forgot all about it. So part of it is to have lasting action. That's how you know you repent, right? That's how you know you're really sorry. You know, as parents, we always have to try to, to teach our kids, you know, these type of things, right? And they do bad stuff all the time, right? And we do our best to kind of encourage them to actually do the right thing, right? Like, for example, like, you know, my kids, they hit each other all the time, right? Oh, brother hit sister or whatever, right? And you know, as parents, we tell them, oh, you got to say sorry, right? But, you know, Elaine's a better parent, right? She doesn't just say, say sorry. She says it because, you know, sometimes when you tell them to say sorry, they get like this. They're like, they're like this thing. sorry. Right? It's kind of like, oh, you tell me to say sorry, I say sorry. Sorry. And then they think that's over, right? And what Elaine says is this. It says, oh, not only do you have to say sorry, you have to say, I am not going to do it again, right? You're not going to hit your brother. You're not going to hit your sister, right? That's the rule. No more. You got to stop that, right? Right? Because it doesn't make sense. You can't just say, oh, sorry, and then turn around, I hit you again. Oh, 
Sorry. I turn around and hit you again. I think the sorry doesn't make a difference. It's the combination, the action, the emotion all together. It's, hey, you feel sorry about it. You really feel sorry about it. And you don't do it again. That's the repentance that God is looking for from Israel way back in the day and the repentance that he looks for from us. Right? When he gives us the wake-up call, when he's calling us back to, hey, turn away from all the ways that you've gone wrong, right? Calling you back to him, whether through coming back to the church, coming back in prayer, coming back in whatever it is that you need. You know, you know your life better than, than me, right? Whatever it is that problem in your life is, the sin in your life, calling you back from it. It's not just to say, oh, for this one day, I feel bad, and that's it. It's to change your life and to get that spirit in the right attitude. A lot of times people will say, oh yeah, I feel bad. And then they they say, I'm going to do something. So many times we know it doesn't happen, right? It can't be driven only by emotion because emotions, they're fleeting, right? They come and they go. It can't just be driven by by words, like I said, sometimes words are empty. Can't just be driven by an action because action might only be one time. It has to be all together. Why does God use this example? He says this, right? He says, he talks about uh, fasting with weeping, with mourning, right? All together. You know, we talk about fasting. I don't think God's suggesting that every time we're using wrong, we gotta fast, right? But fast is a good example of how we ought to feel like when we're dedicating ourselves to repentance, right? We know this. When we fast, and you hear Nathan talk about it every year when he does his fasting messages and some of that, fasting is an indication to us that we're willing to sacrifice the thing we love, our own body, or whatever it is that we're sacrificing, right? That this is how much we want, you know, fill in the blank, right? He will say that for Chinese school, right? This is how much I want people to get saved at Chinese school. That I will go without food. I'll go without TV. I'll go without all this stuff. That's the spirit, the attitude, right? The attitude of fasting. That ought to be the attitude we have toward repentance. God, I'm sorry. I offended you. I want to get my life right. And I want to have that same kind of burning desire. Desire that when we fast for getting people saved, when we fast for whatever it is the issue that we need. Oh God, when I help, I need help. We're willing to fast, right? Can it be also, hey God, I want to fix my life. I'm willing to have that same kind of attitude, that same spirit of fasting, right? Whatever it is we're putting out of your life, whether it be, you know, you can fill in the blank with whatever you want to do. I'm going to put this alcohol out of my life. I'm going to put this gambling out of my life. I'm going to put this whatever other sin out of my life. That attitude, that attitude that we have when you're fasting, the attitude of, you know, this is very emotional here, right? We see the words, weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. When you talk about rending your garments, what are you talking about? Rending your garments is something people used to do in the olden days of Israel, right? Where when they're really, you know, sorry or whatever, something, feel bad, take off their clothes, right? Take off your clothes. And that's supposed to be like a symbol, the symbol, oh, I'm sorry, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take off my clothes. That's how you know, right? What does God say? Rend your heart and not your garments. He doesn't want just the outward action of, oh, I'm taking off my clothes. Now everyone knows I'm sorry. 
right? He wants us to rend our hearts as if you're taking off the clothes of your heart, right? Oh, God, I know I have the sin in my heart. Here it is. I'm taking it off in my heart. That's a difference here. That's a difference. So when God is talking like that on explaining this to them, that's what he means about true repentance. True repentance. Do we have that? Do we have that? That's what he wants from us here. Now, to reiterate, it says what? If we have true repentance in verse 19 and 20, right? It says he's going to give everything back. Isn't that true? When we repent from our sins, do we get it all back? We get the gift of heaven, do we not? Isn't that getting everything back? Whatever hardships that we face here on earth, whatever problems, tough times, unhappiness, that's all wiped away, isn't it? It's all wiped away. God promised them in Israel's time a, re- a restoration you know, of their lands. Obviously, there's a literal part of, hey, if you do good, your land will grow back. There'll be oil and corn, all this stuff. But also for us in the times way after that, the symbolic restoration, right? Restoration for us in heaven. That will there be a lot of corn and oil and good stuff up there in heaven? Oh, yeah, certainly. That's why he wants us to repent of our sins, does he not? He wants us to come to him with Jesus, right? To clear our hearts, to be ready to accept all these wonderful things. That we don't have to worry in heaven about invading armies and natural disasters and all these horrible things. No way. No how. God is what? It says God is in verse number uh, in verse number 13, God is gracious and merciful and slow to anger. You know, a lot of times people have the wrong idea. They think this. Oh, I better clean up my act because I'm scared of God. He's going to punish me. Right? This verse is telling us this. It's a reminder that we ought to clean up our act because of how loving God is. Isn't that true? God is actually a loving God. He's not just an anger God throwing thunderbolts at us all the time. Right? Because think about this way. If God was really quick to anger, and looked at all the sins we did in our lives, wouldn't we all be dead 50 times over by now? I think of all the sins I did in my life. Don't I deserve a whole ton of punishment? I think so. I've done a whole bunch of bad stuff. And if God were really a just God and an angry God, he would probably have killed me 50 times over by now. Probably in your lives, you can think of all the sins you did. It's probably not one sin, two sins, three sins. It's probably hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands maybe. Who knows, right? Thousands and thousands of sins. Don't we all deserve that punishment? But God is slow to anger. He's merciful. He was merciful for Israel way back when. They still had their country for hundreds of years. They got this warning, and it was decades and decades. Many prophets, not just one prophet warning them. Prophet after prophet after prophet. Hey, 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 repent. Turn right. Our God is so great. He's slow to anger. He's calling us. He's showing us his love. Are we going to accept his love? Are we going to repent? I hope the answer is yes, right? But we know from history, Israel, they had all these chances. They still said no. We know from even people that may have even gone to this church, came here for a while, their answer is no. Do we want to fall into that same kind of situation? I hope for all of you, the answer is also no. 
we're not going to fall into the same trap. All right, next time we're going to continue with verses number 21 to 32, finish up chapter 2, and talk more about the restoration of Israel and all that kind of stuff. Right now we are out of time, so we're going to end off with a repair. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Dear God, thank you for Book of Joel, a reminder of how important it is, how important it is to repent, to turn to you, God, to have you save us from all of our sins, that we get the restoration when it comes to heaven, when we get that wonderful, uh, everlasting joy, that we're so blessed that you are a God that's slow to anger, that you haven't struck us all dead for all the bad things we've done. No, 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 you're giving us a chance. You're calling us even today, all calling all of us here to be right with you, to turn to you, to love you in our actions, in our words, in everything, God, to rend our hearts to you. God, we ask you to help us with that because it is so hard. It's something I struggle with. I bet everyone here struggles with today to really, to have true repentance, to turn away from all the bad in our life and to honor and glorify you. We ask you that we can you be with us as we continue to honor you today, on today, your day, Lord. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.